Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. From Art History Bay Briefs. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Ginny. I'm Jen. And we are the Art History Babes. With a baby. We're coming at you with a baby episode. Back at it again with the babies. On Hans Holbein. The younger. The younger, not the elder. Do we know anything about the elder? Let's be real. Mm, um, <laughs> you know. What's he all about? Yeah, what's what's. Hans well, Holbein was, the Elder. About. He was Hans Holbein the Younger's dad. <laughs> <laughs> he made art too. He was also an artist, and that's about all I know. That's about all I know. All yeah. right. I mean, you know, but the light is shining on the younger. Neither here nor there. Yeah. Today, Hans Holbein the Younger is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. He was a German artist and printmaker. Worked in the Northern Renaissance style. He existed circa 1497 <laughs> <laughs> to before November 29th, 1953. I like it. I found <laughs> this in a source and I was like, this is the weirdest timeline. Circa 1497, so roughly 1497, and he died before November 29th, 1953. You mean, wait. Yeah. Not 1953. It says... Oh, ni- no. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, Corey, he was a vampire. <laughs> 1553. Yeah. He was 500 <laughs> years old. 500. Okay, so that made it even weirder. <laughs> okay, so he is listed as dying before November 29th, 1593. Mm-hmm. Which is like, why before that day? He didn't die on that day. He just died before right. that day, right? I don't, I don't know because I, I had read that he died of the plague that was spreading through London. So maybe they just are estimating <laughs> it for the years like or November, months that November twenty ninth the plague was, was rampant. I, yeah, yeah. It's just a really specific date for such a vague statement. Is how I felt. True, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> He was born in Augsburg, Bavaria, and learned how to paint from his father, Hans Holbein the Elder, which we don't know very much about, but he designed stained glass windows and painted portraits with his father. He is widely considered one of history's most influential portrait painters, and he has been credited with bringing Renaissance painting to Britain. 
So no small feat there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He moved to the Swiss town of Basel with his brother, where he met many humanist thinkers, including Erasmus. Ooh, I love that name. He was welcomed by Thomas More into their whole humanist circle, mm-hmm. where he built quite a reputation. His work in humanist circles would go on to influence his artistic work tremendously. For example, one of his most famous paintings, The Ambassadors, which we'll talk about a little later on, exhibits many characteristics of humanist influence, including focus on individuals and the illustration of objects relating to the development of humanity. So the scientific intellectual development of humans. Right. So a really noteworthy thing to talk about with Hans Holbein the Younger is his time painting in the court of King Henry VIII. Henry VIII probably rings a bell. He had six wives and beheaded two of them. So when Hans Holbein was in Switzerland, that was really during the height of the early beginnings of the Reformation, which made it very difficult for him to establish a successful career because he painted, at that time, predominantly religious scenes. So he made the journey to London in 1526, and Erasmus wrote a letter of introduction on his behalf addressed to Sir Thomas More, who was a statesman, author, humanist, and closely linked to the Tudor family. Moore would later be a subject of Hans and helped forge subject of Hans in terms of Moore sat for portraits. And Moore helped forge his connection to the Tudors. And Holbein quickly became the primary portraitist of the court of Henry VIII, in addition to designing state robes for Henry, monuments, and decorations celebrating Anne Boleyn's coronation. So Holbein likely made a portrait of Anne Boleyn, but it was destroyed after she was accused of adultery, incest, and treason, and beheaded. He painted a portrait of Henry's third wife, Jane Seymour. After her death, he painted a portrait of Christina of Denmark as part of marriage negotiations. So it was pretty common during this time, you know, when you have monarchs from one country who are in negotiations to marry a princess from another country, you ship your portraitist off, have them paint a a nice portrait of the young lady, and then you look at it, kind of like very archaic online dating. I was like, Tinder? (laughs) (laughs) Swipe left, swipe right. Uh, (laughs) So Henry liked what he saw of Christina of Denmark. Nice. He swiped right. He swiped right. But she, however, declined his marriage proposal as she, quote, wanted to keep her head. Smart woman. Smart lady. Holbein later got into hot water with Henry VIII when he painted a portrait of Anne of Cleves. So Anne of Cleves was from the Duchy of Berg in Dusseldorf. And Holbein painted a portrait of her, brought it back to England. Henry took a look. He was pleased. (laughs) The negotiations were struck. She comes to London to marry him and when Henry saw her he found her plain and dull and he was pissed at Hans Holbein (laughs) just saying you know that you made this image too flattering of her she is not as beautiful as your portrait suggested like I feel duped he later annulled the marriage rude yes despite that that's such a bummer like (laughs) you can't expect the prime selfie image to be like accurate to reality you know what I mean right and any portraitist during that time especially yes you painted from life but it wasn't 
realistic to the extent that it depicted any flaws if there were any you know it was always trying to make people look grand especially for women who were the same way a selfie does exactly exactly for women it was supposed to be like they're beautiful and they're chaste you know because they are a possible bride for you so that wasn't fair of henry the eighth to do but he was an affair man you know what's (laughs) funny though is that anne of cleves ended up outliving the rest of henry's wives oh yeah (laughs) by all accounts she was cool and like her and henry later became friends and she tried to mend his relationship with his daughters both mary and elizabeth by all accounts she was okay yeah she worked out she came out on the better side right that Anne, at least so holbein retained his status as court painter despite this little snafu and he famously painted Henry VIII on more than one occasion. His 1540 portrait of the king is most notable. This is where Henry VIII is depicted standing in all his kind of regalia. And he managed to make him larger than life, imposing and regal, despite Henry's growing obesity, a lame leg, and declining health at the time of the portrait. So portraits at this time, again, they're not totally realistic especially with royalty you want to make them seem very strong and youthful depending on the gender obviously so he was pretty adept at doing this and that's why he was so successful painting within the court kind of more of his technique for portraits he made very detailed preparatory drawings to scale of his subjects in pencil ink and chalk most of the emphasis in his sketches were on the facial details and did not so much focus on clothing or the hands the outline of the sketches were then transferred via small poked holes through which the charcoal would translate onto the canvas used for the final portrait in the portraits holbein added rich details such as textile patterns hand position and background details He was incredibly skilled at imbuing his subjects with subtle hints of their character. So, you know, like I was talking about earlier, chastity for Henry's wives, intellectualism for men like Sir Thomas More and Erasmus, and overt power and dominance for Henry's portraits. That's not as subtle because he's the king. But everything else, he was good at kind of conveying the character of his subjects in his portraits. As podcasters, we understand the importance of quality sound. Studio headphones are stylish and sleek with proper sound quality. If you like on-ear headphones, you know the ones that make you look like a DJ, you'll love the Regent. With 24 plus hours of active battery life and 20 days of standby life, the Regent is the perfect companion to you at home or on the go. If you're looking for headphones to meet your more athletic lifestyle, check out the Tray. With 9 plus hours of active battery life, and 10 days of standby life. Made out of sweat-proof material and has custom wing tips that stay comfortably in your ear no matter how you're moving. These are only two of the many styles that Studio has to offer, so go to studio.com to check them out. Studio emphasizes the modern Scandinavian design while also providing a product that matches the quality of even the highest-rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. And they provide free worldwide shipping. Use the discount code BABES to get 15% off any purchase. Go check them out. They're beautiful. In addition to his portraits of nobility, he is known for his Dance of Death series. The Dance of Death was a popular artistic allegory in the late Middle Ages. It was a form of memento mori 
which is a concept that Hans Holbein kind of deals with throughout a lot of his work. And it reminds the viewer of the inevitability of death. In this series of 41 wood engravings, Holbein kind of puts a unique spin on the design of the Dance of Death. It was created in 1526 and published 12 years later. And instead of the traditional imagery, which usually depicted a dance in the round of kind of death and dying happening among various characters. There was usually like an insidious Mm death-like character and other characters that were dying or had died, but it was all amongst this dance. A lot of times you'll see depictions with skeletons and things Mm -hmm. like that. Holbein presented each victim of death in an individual scene. Additionally, he altered kind of the purpose of the allegory. At this point, these Dance of Death images were done often on big frescoes, and they were much more public. And from now on, people were able to learn the lessons being taught by the Dance of Death Mm -hmm. by reading a book alone instead of the way it had been previously done, which was in a group looking at these big frescoes together. So it was more of a solitary affair. And they're pretty fun. Yeah, they are kind of fun. They're kind of sweet. (laughs) Check those out. Yeah. Moving on to the painting we mentioned a little bit earlier, The Ambassadors. This work is by far, I would say, his most famous. And it's known for this really interesting optical illusion in the foreground so if you're not familiar with Holbein you're probably familiar with this painting because when you tilt it at just an angle you can see this skull in the foreground and it's really bizarre and like why is it there it makes no sense but aside from this interesting optical illusion there's a lot going on in this painting that is also very intriguing and worth getting into it was painted in 1533 and it depicts the ambassadors from france to england jean de denteville and his friend georges de self probably think that's the best pronunciation i've ever done of anything <laughs> french These men acted on several occasions as French ambassador to the Republic of Venice, to the Pope in Rome, and to England, Germany, and Spain. The painting can be divided into a grid and has different components that break up this kind of, uh, we were talking about humanism earlier, this humanist values. So on the upper shelf that they are leaning on are objects that are concerned with the celestial sphere. So there's a globe, a portable sundial, and uh, various other instruments that are used for understanding the heavens and measuring time. While on the lower shelf, you see reflected these sort of worldly objects. So musical instruments. There's a lute. There's a hymn book. A book of arithmetic. And a terrestrial globe. So if you look at it on a left and right side sort of division the ambassador on the left side of the painting Dentivy, is decked out mm-hmm. real lavishly <laughs> he is looking 
real fancy. And this is a great example of Holbein's talent. You can just see all of his amazing rendering of textures. The side of the painting has been interpreted as being the very active, lively, action-motivated side of the work. He's holding a dagger, so that implies some kind of physical action. Whereas the right side of the painting, the side of DeSelve, He's wearing a more muted fur cloak. Mm. He's resting his elbow on a book. So this side of the painting is interpreted as being more about contemplative aspects of daily life. There's the book, the lute, the hymn book at the bottom. And on top of all of this, all of these objects carry significant symbolism. So this painting was done during a tense period that was marked by rivalries between the kings of England and France, Mm -hmm. the Roman emperor and the Pope. So the French church at the time was split over the question of the Reformation. So religious and political strife are reflected in some of the details of the painting, such as a crucifix that's obscured by a green curtain at the top left corner, symbolizing the division of the church. The broken string on the lute, if you get real close up, you can see it's rendered in very exquisite detail, evoking disharmony during the Reformation. And even the open book of music in front of the lute is a hymn by Martin Luther. So all of these things Mm -hmm. just alluding to what's happening at the time between these big forces in Europe. So super fascinating work. Check it out. And that's what we got on Hans Holbein the Younger. We hope you enjoyed our BB episode. Hans. Hans Holbein. Amazing artist. The Younger. The Younger one, not the older one. Although he was probably cool. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. From was a vampire (laughs) the art history babes podcast is made possible by support from our lovely listeners via patreon head over to patreon.com slash art history babes to help keep the art history babes going and for access to bonus content